Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. We are in the midst of a Lenten series, a Lenten series that is entitled uh, Dead Weight. Thank you for all of you who came uh, Wednesday night to our Ash Wednesday service. We'll come back to that later on. I, it's one of the more meaningful moments that I have as your pastor, and to watch how well you participated in the various rituals that we had. But here's the thing that got me this year. We say out loud, and we put in the printed piece as well, you have the chance to come down the aisle, receive the ash, someone will pray for you, someone's available to pray for you, and then receive communion, and then stay if you'd like. Stay if you'd like and just sit and listen to uh, Tamara and to Brandon sing us through. If you want to sit, and we even use the word sit and soak in the presence for a while, you can. Nearly everybody did. It's unusual. It's beautiful. So thank you for such a great kickoff to the Linton season. This is uh, the image that we introduced to you, and I'll go back to it time and again. I, I showed a clip of this movie, the 1986 movie, The Mission, features Robert De Niro and Jeremy Irons. De Niro plays a guy by the name of Mendoza who has lived a terrible story. He has lived a terrible, terrible story, and, and in the process of living that terrible story, he kills, and he is a slave trader. And finally recognizes that his story is out of whack. He can't continue to live that story. So he accesses his priest, Jeremy Irons' character. And Jeremy Irons' character, his priest, says, well, probably what you ought to do then is some sort of penance. Some sort of penance to remind you of the baggage that you have accumulated along the way. You need to do something to remind you that that other story is not the story you ought to be living. And so it's exactly what he does. He gathers up his armor and his weaponry. And he totes it around, he drags it around across a river, up the face of a mountain, across a field, until finally it nearly gets the best of him. And then his pack is cut off of him and it's tumbled off of this cliff and into the water. And he's different, he's free to be different. He's free to live a different story now, separated from that dead weight, separated from not only the consequences of his sin, but separated from his sin. And what I said to you then and what I'll say to you again now is that is a pretty good visual image of what's going on throughout the season of Lent. What we hope to do throughout the season of Lent is help one another to separate ourselves, not just from the consequences of our sin, but from our sin, so that we are free to be different, free to be Christ, free to live a better story. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that as we walk through these Old Testament texts throughout these next several weeks, I'm, I'm hoping that you and I are able to listen well enough to hear God say, yep, there's some dead weight that I would like to cut away if you'll allow it, if you'll allow it. Now, I put the call out this week for some pictures, and to be honest with you, I forgot to put two in there. I forgot to put the one of the Smiths and one of the Middendorfs in there. 
but I called out for some pictures uh, that showed some family resemblance, and so, this is the Hammond family. That is Becky on the left, <laughs> and that is Max on the right. They could not deny one another if they wanted to, all right? Oh, the Peach family, Megan and Owen. That's mom on the left and Owen on the right. Beautiful thing. Look at this, Kaylee Vaughn and her mom. Very, very similar. Now, this is a good one here. This is Olivia and this is Lauren Fain. Now, this is not, this is a family resemblance, but not a mother-daughter resemblance. This beautiful thing. Oh, yep, that fame thing. We're going to come back to this fame thing. Yep, they just have this way. You know when you're looking at a fame, right? You just know. You know. Now, this is a friend of mine named Jonathan Sprang. <laughs> Jonathan Sprang has in the past. This was just too good to pass up. I know he doesn't go to church here, but this is delicious right here. I had to. This is mom and him, and I think that might have been the same afternoon that they decided that was a good idea to, to do that. How about this one? Whoa. Tamara and her sister, I mean her mom, right? Uh, Tamara and her mom. And then there's this one. I'm like, I got back to this fame thing now. Here's the thing. I said to this earlier, uh, said this to you earlier, you know when you're looking at a fame. But after being married to the fames for a while, you start to look like the fames. <laughs> it is Kids Sunday. And let me say this. Here's why we do Kids Sunday. We do Kids Sunday to make sure that our kids know that they are a part of us. That they know that they are a part of this family. And the hope is, the hope is, that over a period of time, we even start to look alike as they participate with us, as we participate with them. My hope is, honestly, honestly, as we gather, that over a period of time, we start to look alike, and in fact, we start to look alike in a way that folks would look at us and say, I know where you belong. I, I like it when folks say to me about my parents, you could never deny your parents, you look like your parents. I like when people say to us about our children, your children can never deny you because they look like you. What I want, though, what I want is for everyone to be able to look at us and say, you all cannot deny your heavenly Father because increasingly over a period of time, you just look like Jesus. You just look like Jesus, and you just can't deny. I mean, as, as we go out and we go to the drive-throughs of the world, as we go out and as we vote, as we go out and we participate in business, my hope is that no matter where we go, as we go and we are a fan of this team or this team, as we go and participate in forms of entertainment, as we do all of those things, my hope is still that there is such a family resemblance that people know that, yep, those people, they belong to God the Father. You can just kind of see it. They could never deny it. They could never deny it. This is a fascinating story that we have today. Now, it perhaps is at first glance a confusing story. We have to always put Scripture in context. Let me tell you what's going on in this particular passage of Scripture. There is a story that is being rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed 
in the hopes that the people rehearsing the story will start to look not just like one another, but like the God who is authoring the story. And so the people of God, having been liberated, uh, out from under Pharaoh's thumb, they are no longer Egyptian slaves. The people of God have been wandering around for, oh, somewhere around 40 years. And they are nearing the finish line. On the other side of this finish line, you have the promised land. Now hear this. You have the promised land on the other side. They have wandered, they have worked, they have anguished. They have toiled for all of these years. They have been living day to day, sometimes hour to hour. It has been a hard way of life, but God has been doting on them, feeding them, finding them water, helping their shoes to hold up. God has been doting with them. At one point in Scripture, God refers to himself during these 40 years of wandering as a good bridegroom taking care of his bride, the people. But now they're at the finish line. And they're about to go into the promised land. And God is concerned, and Moses is concerned, that the people will forget to remember the story. That the people will forget to remember the author of the story. And hear this, awful things happen when we forget to remember the story that God is writing for us and in us and through us. One of the worst things that ever happens when we forget to remember the story, capital S, is that another story takes its place as the story. And so this is a ceremony, one of many ceremonies that good and faithful Hebrew people undertake in the hopes that they would never forget to remember, in the hopes that they would never relinquish the story, never be relinquished by the story, and choose another one. So that's what's going on. The book of Deuteronomy is essentially a giant speech, or several speeches, from Moses to people that he's about to release into the promised land because Moses isn't going with them. So what do you say to a group of people that you love, knowing that you will go no further with them? And so he's saying to them, in the last few moments before they enter the promised land, please don't forget to remember. Please don't forget to remember the author and the story. And here's a way that we're going to do it. Now, when you've come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it, and settle in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground. So you're going to go and you're going to plant, you're going to settle. Sure enough, though it has been for years and years, the hand of God that's fed you day by day. Remember the manna and the quail and the water from the rock? But now you're in the promised land and you won't have that day by day by day. But don't forget it, it's, it's crucial. Don't forget it. But you're going to go into the promised land, you're going to settle, and you're going to plant, and sure enough, your crops are going to grow, and you're going to be able to, in some sense, feed yourselves. But in order that you won't forget to remember, here's what you need to do. Take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God has given you, and you'll put it into a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. Go to the temple. Go to a synagogue, 
Go to church, you shall say to the priest who is in office at the time, say to him, today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. Okay, now I want you to be looking for something and we're just gonna march through these scriptures pretty quickly and actually I'm gonna have a few things to say to you after that. But I want you to be on the lookout for this. Be on the lookout for the story that wishes to adopt people. The story that wishes to keep people in this story. When the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. (laughs) A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. Okay, we're going to read others, but a couple things. This is fantastic. (laughs) One of the most beautiful passages of Scripture in all of Scripture because of all that it intends to communicate and not just to the folks in that day way back when, but to us. One of the more beautiful phrases in all of Scripture is this one. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. Who is this wandering Aramean? Well, I I should probably ask this of Dr. Green. Is it Abraham or Jacob or none of the above? Who do you think? Okay. What is it? And I asked Dr. Green because he has actually recently written a commentary on the entire book of Deuteronomy. I apologize up front for not having you preach this sermon today, actually. But more important than the specific identity of the wandering Aramean is the person who's now reciting, is that person's understanding that he or she belongs in this story. Some of you are very excited about this and more of you should be. What story are you living? Donald Miller was here not too long ago and, and spoke. He was kind of doing a, a book tour, and I believe the book was entitled um, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And in this book, he says something like this, that people, especially young people, gravitate to the most compelling story available to them. Gravitate to the most compelling story available to them. I think he's probably right. I don't know how much science there is to back up that claim, except my eyes tell me that's probably right. In other words, there's not just one story out there. There are a lot of stories out there. There are a lot of stories right here. But one story is going to be your first story. Check your heart. One story is going to be your first story. One story is going to be your first story, which means... There is going to be one author (laughs) that's going to outclass all the other authors. And and because we have a multitude of stories available to us, it is no sure thing that the author, the ultimate author to which you have given yourself, it's no sure thing that that author is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah, you can go to church and still have somebody else 
for all intents and purposes, as your favorite author of a more meaningful story because it's not just young people who gravitate to the most compelling story. So when this person in this poignant moment comes to the temple, gives sacrificially, and then recites this line. Now, it is a ritual, and some of you are, don't, don't like rituals. Listen, during this season of Lent, you need to hear me say this. I love religion, and some of you are already disappointed, right? Because some of you are saying, I really wish you'd have said spirituality. Okay, hippie, hear me. Okay. I love religion, complete with all of the rituals that constantly dethrone the wrong author and enthrone the right one. And in this particular ritual, someone comes in and recognizes that he or she has been claimed by this author and this story. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. Now, Scripture does this a lot, other passages, but in this one, like the other passages, watch for the ways in which these plural, personal pronouns work. When the Egyptians treated us harshly, And afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us. We cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. There is great chance that there were, over the course of 40 years, people who did not experience Egyptian bondage and slavery. But the story claimed them anyway. There is great chance that gathered there in this very public ceremony, <laughs> there's a great chance that they weren't all Hebrew by ethnicity. There's a great chance that they were outsiders. In fact, the verses that follow tell us pretty clearly that they were outsiders. And yet, this story extended an invitation and claimed them all. All who would be claimed, claimed them all. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders and he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. You shall set it down then before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. Then you, together with the Levites, the people helping out at the place of worship, and the aliens who reside among you shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. This was just one of many different rituals meant to help the people of God remember that there is one story that should be more important than all the other stories. That there is one author that should be the more favored author over and above any other author. That there is purpose, that there is community, and there is even definition when we find ourselves 
in this one story and subordinate all other stories to this one story. Here's what I see. When I look in the mirror, I see somebody embroiled in a bitter competition. I see when I look in the mirror lots of different stories vying for my attention and my allegiance. And this is horrifying. Ready for this? I also see that it is possible to function as a Christian, as a believer, even as a pastor, even as a pastor, without this story being the biggest and best one in my life. Don't look at me like that. I'm saying the same thing about you. (laughs) Which story operates you? Which story makes the greatest claim on you and your life and your definition to all the most important words in life. Now, you've seen me do this before if you've been here any length of time. I, I like sometimes to take this big old thick Bible and then I take a Dr. Seuss book, my book about me, and I try to say this to you. Sometimes we Christians like to cram the Bible into this book about me so that faith can be an important chapter in my book about me, when in all actuality, God will have none of that because what God wants is for you to be a chapter in God's book and in God's story with God as the author and not you. I'm, I'm gonna step on toes a little bit here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry ahead of time. I'm sorry ahead of time. What bumps you off track and keeps you from being here every week? And I promise you it's not an attendance thing. When I go to district assembly, (laughs) I show up and I'm surprised to see what the numbers are. I just don't know. I don't care. I don't ask. But I do notice when folks aren't weakly shaped by the ritual. I wonder, I wonder if that other story has wrestled you to the ground a little bit too often. What other stories are vying for your time and attention? What other stories are arm wrestling with this story and this author to define some of the more important, most important words in life, like strength, weakness, rich, poor, right, wrong? How about this one, family? Which story is telling you what family is? You remember the time, there's a, there's a story in scripture that goes something like this. Jesus is in the process of embarrassing his mother. <laughs> and somebody walks up and they tug on Jesus' robe and they, they lean over and they whisper in his ear, um, your family would like for you to go ahead and stop this and come on outside with them. Your family's waiting for you. Does anybody remember Jesus' response? 
Jesus seems to be saying, yeah, tell me about this family thing. In fact, let me tell you about this family thing, says Jesus. Look around you. These are my brothers and sisters, my mother. I'm going to step on a few more toes and I'll quit. I promise. I promise. Just a few more. Man, I'm concerned about us during this season. I'm really concerned about us during this season. And you've heard me say this before. I'm saying it again. Man, I'm concerned about the people of God during an election season. When faith is literally a football that is kicked back and forth. When you, church people, we are a football kick. They are fighting over us. Man, I worry about us during these times. I worry that during an election season, somebody else's story will tell us what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, and then call it Christian. Listen, I love you, I love you. You need to be at Ash Wednesday services. You need to be here on a weekly basis because there are so many other competing voices out there. Do you think your kids can bear up under the avalanche of competing voices without you making them available to the very story and the author that wants them on a weekly basis? Do you think your kids can get by with once a month? How about you really smart adults? Hey, we have some really smart adults here. Let me tell you something. This guy of average smarts cannot do this thing once a month because of the other voices. You and I need the tangible weekly reminders that we are in the process of always being claimed by this story and this author. All other stories at some point must be put in their place if not completely cut away. I'm done, stepping on toes. Welcome back. <laughs> James K.A. Smith talks about this a little bit in his book, Desiring the Kingdom. As he tries to, in this and the other books in this series, as he tries to give us eyes to see how other stories are trying to liturgize us and shape us to serve their purposes and not God's purposes. And, and so I want us to, every week, I, I want to give you something to do on Friday. Now, you may have your Lenten observances, and please keep doing them. Keep, keep doing what you're doing, but I want to give us something that perhaps we can do on a Friday together, and, and I want us to, to, if you have insights, if you learn something, if something good happens because you participate with us as a church on Fridays, Fridays, Faithful Fridays, Faithful Fridays, I want you to come to the church Facebook page and tell us, what did you learn? There's so many stories vying for our attention that I think at times we have to be intentional to remember that this story is the most important one. And here's one of the ways to do that. Gratitude. This is what's being canonized here in this, this ritual in Deuteronomy 26. Here's what's being said to the people of God. 
Listen, if you'll remain aware and cognizant that all of this is a gift to you, then you are more likely to live in gratitude and response to it. And when you live in gratitude and response to the gift of God, you are more likely than any other time to be God's people because everything is a gift. And you live in response to the gift by giving. This is not a stewardship sermon unless it is. But it's not. Gratitude. Gratitude for the circumstances and the people who've helped to keep you stuck to this story. What if you were on Friday? There are many means of communication available to you now. Carrier pigeon, (laughs) smoke signal, you can use a fax machine, I'm told still. But think of all the different ways you could reach out and communicate to somebody. I am grateful for you because you have helped to keep me stuck in this good story. If you understand yourself today to be a citizen, first and foremost, of this narrative, of this giant narrative, by and large, it's going to be because somebody has helped you to see that this is a better place to be than anywhere else. I have those people. Some of those people are in this room. And I'm going to write and express myself Words of gratitude, thank you for not allowing me to forget to remember that this story claims me, that this author claims me. And the very movement of gratitude keeps me situated in this story. Hey, y'all. If I were to ask you to list the three most formative and influential sermons in your life, and I want you to give me the text and the title of the sermon, the name of the speaker, and the date of the lesson of the sermon. If I were to say, just give me three, I could give you a week, and some of you would never come up with three. But if I were to say to you, list for me the three people. List for me the three people who keep you aware this story, this author claims you, and that all of this is yours as a gift, you could probably give me three people. Well, don't give me three people. Write them on Friday. Push back against the other liturgies and the other stories by writing a note of remembrance and gratitude to those who keep you or who have kept you in this one. Every ritual that we undertake as the people of God finds its location, finds its origin in the story. You know that, right? When we take communion each week, each week when we take communion, here's here's what we're doing. We're trying to say to you, this is the story that has claimed you. This is a story and an author that has claimed you. How will you respond? And so, over a period of time, this is how we've responded. We have lined up and we have taken communion, and some of you are starting to get this deep impression that, man, it's not just the bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and given. Perhaps this this bread and this cup are shaping me, and you're right, shaping me to be taken, blessed, broken, and given. You're right. 
Is it possible, though, that there is a competing narrative in your mind and heart? Now think with me, and we're going to move to the table. What are the narratives that compete for your time? Entertainment, that's a, that's a big one. It's a big one. Work, it's another, another, another big one. Is it a political conversation? That is a big one, and it's going to get bigger for the next several months. What are the competing narratives that are telling you where to show up and how to be when you show up? It was the hope of God, it was the hope of Moses in this passage of scripture to combat all of the other competing encroaching narratives. It was the hope of God that with these kinds of rituals you would be alerted and awakened to this competition between narratives. That you would appreciate all over again. Listen, this particular ritual would bleed into another one. Even after they are settled in their homes, brick and mortar homes in the promised land, they had another festival, the Feast of Tabernacles. And in this feast, people literally moved out of their homes and back into shelters made of leaves and branches, and they lived day to day again in order to remember that God was faithful. Because comfortable people forget that God is faithful. Competent people forget that God is faithful. Competitive people have a chance to forget that God is faithful. And so, comfortable, competent friends and family of mine have you forgotten to remember? And has another story supplanted the ultimate story? And has that other story told you more, taken more ground than it should have? Is that other story telling you where to go and how to be when you show up? Well, then you know what your dead weight is. then you know it needs to be cut away or at least subordinated. Do not, God help us, we cannot be working people who go to church. We have to be Christians who go to work. If you are helping us, if you will come to the table and help us with this ritual that will help us to remember Help us to remember this author and this storyline. This is one of those weekly opportunities, weekly opportunities to remember, to push back the encroaching stories, competing stories. Don't miss this opportunity, people. To put those other stories in their place. Dethrone the wrong ones and enthrone the right ones today.
during this season of Lent. Heavenly Father, bless these elements and use them, God, to fund and fuel our imaginations. May we recognize all of the different stories that are competing for our attention. And God, give us just enough strength, just enough nourishment now to be able to push back, to push back, to make sure that there is but one first place author and one first place story. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand. All across the sanctuary, I will ask you to stand and exit your pew to the left and then come forward. And you will approach someone holding a plate of bread. As you approach that person holding a plate of bread, come, come with your hands cupped, ready to receive this gift that you can't have any other way, only as a gift. As you get close, that person's gonna take off, break off a piece of bread, press it into your hands, and say this to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Remember that story. Don't eat it right then, but take that little piece of bread and dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Remember that story. And then dip the bread into the cup and then eat. And then find a place to pray. Now it might be at one of these side padded altars where we offer up prayers for healing. And we'll pray for physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual, theological, mental, relational healing. If you need a prayer for healing, meet us at one of these side padded altars and we will pray for you. Or perhaps you have another kind of prayer. All kinds of prayers are welcome at these altars and you'll notice that you won't pray alone. Somebody at some point will touch you to remind you that you do not pray alone. And then there's this one other thing. There is this bowl of water right here. This sermon today, this passage of scripture is in some sense baptismal because much like the baptistry, Deuteronomy 26 wants you to remember that you belong to this story and to this author. But if you need a reminder that you belong to this story and this author, then this water is just cool enough to jog your memory to your day, the day of your baptism. Seems kind of weird. Some of you would say, I've not seen that before. Yeah, it doesn't mean it's not good. So think it through. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat it, remember me. Later on after dinner, he took the cup. He held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink it, remember me and know that the story is claiming you again. Who's welcome at this table? All who are aware of their need for this kind of grace. All, all, regardless of where you are on the spectrum today. If you are aware of your need for grace, then you're welcome at this table. And if you can't come to us, Jason and Katie are on their way to you. now all across the sanctuary. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. Exit your pew to the left. 
and participate in the process of kicking out the wrong story and allowing yourself to be claimed by the right one. invite you if you see someone here, somebody for whom you can be the tangible expression of God's grace and care, would like to invite you to come and be that tangible, touchable evidence of God's grace. Heavenly Father, we confess that we find ourselves intimidated and sometimes intoxicated by the other stories. We confess, Lord, that there are times when we forget to remember. You know this about us, God. You know this about us. That's why you have helped us and gifted us with rituals like these, the one that we read about, the one that we've now participated in. Rituals meant to help us to remember. Rituals help to, rituals that can help to re-enthrone you as the ultimate author. Rituals that can help us to find our places in the right story, subordinating all other stories, all other kings and kingdoms, all other initiatives, good as they might be. God, with a ritual like communion and with passages like Deuteronomy 26, may we learn how to prioritize the stories that tell us who we are, where to go, and how to be when we show up. And God, I pray for those today whose lives have been attacked by other storylines. There are stories of disease now, stories of heartbreak, heartache, stories of fractured relationship, stories of out-and-out fear where the future are concerned, and those stories seem to have taken us hostage. God, my prayer is that somehow, somehow, that you would help us to see clearly enough to dethrone those stories and to re-enthrone the right one. And now hear us, God, as Lisa works us through the prayers of our kids before closing us with the Lord's Prayer. If you'll notice with me on the screens are the prayers our kids have prayed over the last month. And now will you join me in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray using debt and debtors. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And lead us not, daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.